0: Back we are again. Say hello, Nina. Hello. Here we are again. (laughs) And this is
1: Jack Foley. And this is Nina Serrano.
0: Yes, we're happy to be back onto the air. And uh, thank you, Erica Bridgman, for telling people about us. And we have something really special to open this half hour. Nina, tell us all about this new anthology.
1: Well, for seven years, as I may have told you on earlier shows, I worked with a group of other poets to put out an anthology of poetry for seven years. For seven years we collected these poems and during that time one person died and another person died and finally we realized with all this dying that we had to get it out there. So we did. And the anthology is called Poetry in Flight. It's a bilingual book, Poesia in Vuelo, with 69 poems from 56 poets. It's published by Acción Latina, who is the publisher of the bilingual newspaper El Tecolote, which is in its 40th year. The introduction to the book is by uh, José uh, Francisco Herrera, and he he tells about the book, and he also tells about how uh, how the Latino personality or character emerged out of the Mexican when it reached San Francisco and it's a very interesting story you can find it on the back cover it also includes the um Work of these very fine poets. Many of them are new or were new to me. I'm now big fans of theirs. And it also includes some poets that you listeners to KPFA might remember, uh, not just remember, but hear from time to time. One is Rafael Jesus Gonzalez and it begins this section that I'm going to play you. It's from our book party where Uh, We had a fabulous book release party, and I'm going to play you some of the poets, and it begins with the music, the live music of Gerardo Marin, who plays indigenous flutes both made of clay and of wood, and he introduces the voice of Rafael Jesus González.
0: THE FULL MOON CALLS TO THE INNOCENT KILLED BY
2: POLICE THE FULL MOON CALLS THOSE IN LOVE WHO DELIGHT IN ITS LIGHT AND IT IS SAID IT ALSO CALLS THE WEREWOLVES AND VAMPIRES IT IS TRUE OF THOSE IN LOVE I HAVE ALWAYS BEEN OF THEM I KNOW NOT OF WEREWOLVES AND VAMPIRES They live among us. It is those beyond the law who kill the innocent, supposedly in the name of the law. They have no need of the moon.
3: My name is Renee Penagovea govea and my poem is entitled, At Home, Para Dieguito. You were born at home, on a cinder block and plywood bed, on a hill that smelled so much of coffee it steeped your dreams, but you still wonder tremulously if that aroma memory can be true. And some pictures of it, your city, flash like furious moths, like after-images against your eyelids, and you need another person to remember with you, to say, I too was there when those men the color of raw sugar gripped their toes across the metal bar of the tall, tall, tall swing set in Dolores Park, their bird-thin shadows dancing liquid above sand, and the congueros played on, implacable under the pendulous date palms, and the beautiful golden boys on their velvet beds of grass devoured the sky in those epidemic years. That disease only called at your doorstep when they told you, heavy-faced, that your preschool teacher had died. And they did say AIDS, softly though, like snow. And when Hugh Masekela sang, Bring back Nelson Mandela, on the radio, on your way to spoon miso and tahini, out of cylinders at Rainbow, it was daytime. The popcorn cloud seeded with gold because your dad only worked nights, as needed but your parents could still raise their child in the belly, or more like the southern toenail of this glittering dragon city by the bay. Down by the ballpark before it existed, you skipped past trailers to get to TikTok, where they handed you a glazed donut and a cheese and pickle sandwich on wax paper, which you ate at a scarred desk in a tiny cabin under the Third Street Bridge with your dad, the bridge tender. Sometimes you did sleep there, on a wooden bed fastened to a wall, army blanket burritoed around you the slap slap of the water on the pilings thrumming dark and luxuriously my city my city my city in this city snail trails remain invisible mostly but lustrous as glycerin to the rememberers the library where your sister made her debut at age five on a four-string guitar your mom taught her and you on the accordion still stands but it's re sculpted, reoccupied, re envisioned, and they whitewash Victor Hada's face and other hint there right off the wall and erase the newspaper photo of girl you marching outside the building, which in leaner times had to be defended by children with signs. So many photos were never taken, so many people sluiced away, and the choices seemed to lay there, bright as gleaming olives. Rage against gentrification on furious websites, carnal protests, or elusive ballots. Walk down 24th Street simmering with bile as you shell out a dollar or more for a concha and steal yourself because you are a native garajo. But what of those images that rise like sharp ash, like scream-bright flowers on oilcloth in the middle of the day? Maybe you can never go home again, but what if you stayed in your home up and left you? Your baby was born at home, in this narrow city, like your sister before him and you before her, and so your choice is clear and you must bear it and claim it, your city. Not without silvery ribbons of sadness or full-throated pain or the occasional F the Elisac dancing hotly on your tongue, but for your son also, with the trumpet on carnaval morning, ink and el tecolote, words sweet as elote as you tell him about home.
4: My name is Jeannie Zukov, and the name of my poem is When Women Are Trees When women are trees, they breathe the world in and out They know everything and everything knows them Every time they speak, life is easy When women are rain, they leap between the clouds and earth. They know everything, and everything knows them. Every time they soothe the soil, life is easy. When women are lava, they rise up from the center of the world. Their blood circulates and creates and creates. They know everything, and everything knows them. Every time their love surges a rhythm, life is easy. When women are mountains, mother arms around the world, stable bones curving into hawked-winged skies, they know everything, and everything knows them. Every time they mediate, life is easy. When women are free, violence fallen away, Wisdom-healing generations of tyrant fears. They remember everything, and everything remembers them. Every time they laugh, life is easy.
2: The following poem is written
5: and read by Aurelia Lorca. The Heliopolis held 3,000 more passengers in capacity. She was the first ship to leave for Hawaii from Andalusia. How did they fit that many people? What models did they use? Bodies upon bodies, like a slave ship, except it was a slave ship. Fine human freight, The newspapers called them to break the Asian workforce. My grandfather's parents and his oldest brother, Juan, who was five years old, were escaping a kind of unfathomable poverty and oppression my father says I will never know, much less understand. There had been a famine... And the Spanish government allowed such taking of Andalusas, half-savage, ordinarios y analfabetos, with too much Moorish blood. The ship returned to port because there was not enough food other than bread and coffee brewed with salt water and the bones of arms and the swollen bulges of bellies crying with the poles of filth and vomit in ocean. If I am quiet enough, I can smell the smells, too, and it will make me angry instead of grateful. Mothers wrapping their children tight in blankets and fear. Stories of sick babies thrown overboard. The warmth of Hawaii was heat and anger. There was no land. It was a trick. Indentured servitude, a nicer way of saying slavery. The pain in their stomachs never went away. They gambled onto another ship for California, the state with a made-up name, and were given a choice, Hawaii or deportation back to Spain. They learned not to cry. They learned how to make the rest of their children become American. There is no other way to say this. What about words? Words dreamt of and believed so strongly that by the time they reach generations, they believe they are true. Unfamiliar morphemes, strange sounds, do not translate. My grandfather and his sisters and brothers would learn English, learn how to read and write a few words. They would learn anything, have American first names, though it would take them almost 40 years to have the papers to prove they were American-born. Don't talk about the past. They all would say it was better than feudalism in Spain. It was all better than Franco in Spain. Don't talk about the past, though. In 2014, the words communist, agitator, bootlegger are meaningless, no longer subversive. I want to get drunk. I want to scream. I want to scream for the dead, all those who are lost to the history of the past and the present. Like my father, I am named after my father's father instead of my mother's father, just so I do not carry the curse of my great uncle's name. Juan. Juan Hernández. I will say his name in Spanish. I am not afraid. My grandfather and the rest of his siblings all had American names. They called him John, but only they were American. He was illegal, as if any human can be illegal. I can see him now, 112 years old, but not bent. A giant holding a cane more like a weapon than anything else, the way Belita, his mother, wore her rings. I can hear his laughs at our Americanness, how we sacrifice memory for the American dream. Yet our duende is always with us, no matter how hard we aspire to achieve bigger, faster, more, build a wall. And no matter how hard we try to forget... He is all we do not speak of, other than the language of shame, the language of silence. It has burned my tongue with hives and bitter red dots. Hence I must speak, I must give the words life. Nothing can soothe me other than the violence of my words. The struggle with language, the struggle to find meaning. But where, where, where should I begin? With my great uncle, Juan. Hence, here is the story. Juan Henares is a ghost who is 112 years old. He came from Lucana, a pueblo the size of a pea outside of Córdoba. He came on the Heliopolis, the first ship to Hawaii that had to go back to port in Malaga because it was so poorly equipped. Though its maximum occupancy was supposed to be a thousand passengers, it carried him with another 3,891 Andalusian peasants who the Spanish state characterized in newspapers as shiftless dreamers due to their Moorish blood. The ship went back to port because the people were only fed bread and coffee brewed with seawater. There was not enough food. How did they fit 3,000 extra people on that ship? I cannot wrap my mind around it. The Honolulu newspapers called them human freight, white labor from the south of Spain to break up the Asian workforce. They were going to make them Americans, white Americans, good Americans. But in Hawaii, there were still whips and the workers were still charming. They never planned on staying. Someday they would return to Spain when there was enough money, but Franco, he changed that. I am an accident of history. Twenty years later, when Juan Hernandez gave himself to the Sacramento River, I wonder if his hat was tilted, drowning in the American dream. I have given him many names in my stories. Juan Granada, Johnny Pride, the Hitano Stagger Lee. He lives in all of us. His name was Juan. He was neither a conquistador or a friar. He was a Spaniard, an an indivisible immigrant whose history has been lost except for one photograph and a name that has been forgotten as a way to remember As I search through my heart to understand him, I can hear his suicide cries. I can hear him laughing because he is still here. His story has been repeated over and over again. Whenever we have been lost, whenever we have failed, whenever we have won, in the curse of his name, he has been there and said prayers for us all and laughs with me at the dream I struggled to believe in make them Americans make them Americans make them Americans make them Americans and that they did that they did they made my grandfather one of the first Hispanic general contractors on the Monterey Peninsula they made my father a community activist and an affirmative action officer they made my father's twin my uncle a teacher in the prisons working with the students society did not want and they made me an American poet who is free to say remember 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 remember
1: You just heard some of the poets from Poetry in Flight, Poesia, and Vuelo. That included Rafael Jesus Gonzalez, Rene Gudea Peña, Jeannie Zukov, Aurelia Lorca, and they were accompanied on the flute by Hera Marin and on the guitar by Rafael Manriquez. The book... Poetry in Flight, Poesía en Vuelo, is available online, or you can go to accionlatina.org or elpecolote.org and order your copy. It's especially recommended for teachers because it covers such a broad range of bilingual poetry. Indeed it does, and thank you, Nina. Um, You can also
0: get it, what, through Amazon and things like that? All of that. All of that, okay, fantastic. I want to just mention a couple of events that will be happening, Uh, two events in celebration of the new exhibition, Blake in Color, Plates from the Illuminated Books of William Blake. On Thursday, May 11th, Voice from the Fire will be presented at the Book Club of California, 642 Sutter Street, Fifth Floor in San Francisco. It's a storytelling performance by Betsy Davids and James Petrillo, and it evokes the life, love, work, and visions of William Blake and his wife, Catherine. The story is accompanied by projections of Blake's work. That will be at the Book Club of California, 642 Sutter Street, Fifth Floor in San Francisco, Voice from the Fire, Thursday, May 11th. There'll also be a champagne reception and curators' talk the next day, Friday, May 12th, 4 to 7, at the William Blake gallery 49 Geary Street suite 205 San Francisco many wonders at the William Blake gallery that should be interesting as well and then finally someone else Jess Saturday May 13th 47 p.m. there will be an opening Reception of artists from the art collection of Robert Duncan and Jess at the Pauline kale Jess Murals House, 2419 Oregon Street in Berkeley, 94705. You can see work by many fine artists, including Robert Duncan, Jess, Madeline Gleason, George Herms, Lawrence Jordan, and my old friend Nada Piaskowski. And of course, the house itself is fascinating. That's Saturday, May 13th, 4 to 7 p.m. Artists from the art collection of Robert Duncan and Jess at the Pauline kale Jess Murals House, 2419 Oregon Street, Berkeley, 94705. And I've been playing... Um, I did an interview with Alan Ginsberg in 1996. He was in town at the Triton Hotel. And it was a really interesting interview. He said many interesting things. I was able to play a half hour from it on one show and a half hour from it on another show. But the interview went a little longer than that. And this is the conclusion.
2: Kyle well, well, greetings. See, the, the point of that was I was sending... The, the title poem, uh, to Behind uh, the Socialist Curtain, uh-huh, uh, yes. to Struga at the time before the breakdown of the Marxist uh, dictatorships in Macedonia. They have a uh, have biennial um, evenings of poetry where they give a golden crown, golden laurel crown, actually a real piece of gold crown, huh. you know, the laurel leaves. yes. To a poet every two years and i got one that year but they asked me to send greetings for their program before i came so i put these one-liners together which are aesthetic and also political and metaphysical and um you know stay what stay away you know fight governments fight gods. All right why
0: don't we, actually why don't we we can end with, with this okay
2: so it's a little ars poetica yes but bear in mind, um, it the Struga Festival, Golden Wreath Laureates, an international board, it's 1986, before the fall of the Berlin Wall. Apparently. Yes, yes. So stand up against governments, against God, <laughs> all authority. I was thinking then of Philodonos, watch out.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, watch out over the lying with the Vatican. <laughs> so stand up against governments, against God. Stay irresponsible. That's more in the line of, you know, don't be, don't, don't be uh, uh, predictable. Yes. You know, don't be knee-jerk predictable. Yeah. Uh, you know, follow your own mind. Um, but it's also uh, negative capability. Stay irresponsible, you know. Mm-hmm. Say only what we know and imagine. So I'm including the imagination of the things that we can describe. Absolutes are coercion which is, you know, uh, I am the Ayatollah and I'll tell you what the Bible says or I'll tell you what what Allah says. But then I contradict that. Change is absolute. Ordinary mind includes eternal perceptions. So that would go back to Wordsworth and William Carlos Carlos Williams. Observe what's vivid. So this is, uh, how can ordinary mind include eternal perceptions? And so, if you observe what's vivid in your memory or in your perceptions, That's where you'll find the eternal perceptions. Uh, If you observe what's vivid in ordinary mind in every day, then how do you observe what's vivid? You notice what you notice. But then the question is, uh, how do you know what's vivid? And obviously, vivid is vivid. If it's not vivid, it's not vivid. (laughs) So vividness is Uh self-selecting. But then you might find something very vivid, but you wouldn't want anybody to see it. You know, the first time you jacked off or something, you know. How? <laughs> if we don't show anybody, we're free to write anything. <laughs> and then finally, remember the future. Yes. I.e., you're writing, remember, not only for your own time, but as a bodhisattva for all times. Yes. Advise only yourself. Don't get to be a big, big wheel and... However, then the next thing I contradict that, don't drink yourself to death. <laughs> Two molecules clanking against each other require an observer to become scientific data. That's kind of witty. And the clanking and the molecule clanking comes from the Hungarian poet Attila Joseph, huh. about molecules clinking against each other. Huh. The measuring instrument determines, of the, determines the appearance of the phenomenal world, after Einstein. So basically, poetry is describing the measuring instrument, the mind itself.
0: Yes, yes.
2: Thus, the universe is subjective, i.e. there is no objective thing, because even if you look at it through a machine, it's through your eyeballs. Sure. And you built the machine. Sure.
0: But the indeterminacy principle.
2: Yeah. So, the next logical thing uh, for poets, Walt Whitman, therefore, celebrated person, because the universe is subjective. Yeah. Walt Whitman celebrated person. He uses that word a lot. Oh, yes, he does. Large persons. Yes, yes. Magnanimous, tolerant, uh, generous. yes. We are observer, measuring instrument, I, subject, person. Universe is person, meaning everything we see then is our own, through our own person. Inside skull, vast is outside skull. Which anybody can test by closing their eyes to seeing a gigantic night sky. That's right. Mind is outer space. And I'm quoting Resnikoff. Each on his bed spoke to himself alone, making no sound. That's from a poem about being on vacation on a summer camp upstate New York at dusk. Slowly the conversation on the porch slid into a lake. (laughs) Then saying, bidding each other goodnight, each went to his bed and lay there alone. Uh, Each on his bed spoke to himself alone, making no sound. I meant that. That's the really pay dirt goldmine yeah. for poetry what you really think to yourself when you're not thinking of writing a poem but just alone with yourself yeah, just... talking to yourself
0: yeah.
2: and then okay and, and first thought best thought that was Shuggyam Trump oh, uh, uh, formulation of a conversation we had uh, we were writing a chain poem in 1972 and I had the line the monk bent down and laced his animal shoes and he said animal shoes <laughs> and I said I don't know what that... oh yeah I know what that means leather shoes made of animal and he said the first thought is the best thought (laughs) and I said first thought best thought Uh, because Kerouac years ago had formulated a similar parallel phrase if the mind is shapely then the art is shapely so mind is shapely comma art is shapely maximum information minimum number of syllables so now we get into the ars poetica syntax condensed sound is solid Intense fragments of spoken idiom. Best uh, consonants around vowels make sense. and anyone who um, uh, has heard Bob Dylan, uh, maybe will begin to appreciate, or, or Kerouac's records on Rhino. Yeah. Uh, when Kerouac says, "My cats," <laughs> it's the it's the. Uh, Biting of the consonants. Yes, that I learned from both Caroway and Dylan. So savor vowels, appreciate consonants. Subject is it's like you put your intelligence in your mouth when you, when you bite the consonant. Yeah, you're giving it a little f- extra emphasis so people can see the different the, the, the shape of the words. speak, and clear hear it clearly too. Yes, you know rather than slurring the end, so you're not quite sure whether you're saying quiet or quite. Uh-huh quiet or quite yeah. subject is known by what she sees i put the she in there yes. <laughs> my little bow to feminism <laughs> you know god is she's she's god <laughs> yes, yes she's black
0: yes, <laughs> right, yes. I, I first heard it as she's colored it's a long time ago no. <laughs> That's
2: right. others can measure their vision by what we see in other words, if you. If you're f- f- candid and frank about how you really see things, then others will say to themselves, "Yeah, I've noticed that too, yeah. but I never wanted to say it because I thought, well, that's just me." But actually, it's universal. So that kind of candidness, candor, ends paranoia. If if you know what people are thinking, you don't have to be worried they're going to knife you in the back.
0: But also, I mean, um, one of the the great themes, and I
2: by the way, this was also relating to the entire Marxist secret police bureaucracy, too, you know, the paranoia. Absolutely,
0: sure, because you were sending it there.
2: As well as the American secret police bureaucracy.
0: But there's also your mother. And those yeah. right, right. Those the right. in New it was certainly personal, yeah.
2: personal and social
0: and at the same time. Alan, there's lots more to talk to you about. This is well. um, this is an important book. It's called Selected Poems, 1947 to 1995. It's from Harper Collins, and it's Alan
2: Ginsberg's newest book. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, and it was a nice conversation.
0: And that was Alan Ginsberg in 1996. I'm afraid that's all that we have time for from Jack Foley and... Nina Serrano. But we, we gave you what we could. <laughs> and I right. hope you enjoyed it. We do indeed, and we'll see you in a month.
2: Racist nonsense gets created and consumed with sickening ease. These same racist notions can be easily discredited and dumped. Ibram X. Kendi understands this well. He won the National Book Award for nonfiction for his masterpiece, Stamped from the Beginning, the Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. Kendi offers us all the intelligence needed to overcome racist hatred and injustice. He'll be
4: speaking in Oakland at First Congregational Church, 2501 Harrison, on Thursday, May 4th. At 7.30 p.m.
2: This KPFA benefit will be hosted by Kevin Cartwright. Tickets at brownpapertickets.com, Marcus Books, and other independent booksellers. Do yourself a favor. On May 4th, meet Ibram X. Kendi.
4: And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno.